Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 476 of the podcast and it is Friday the 14th of February 2020 as I record this. So today in the interview section I've got a fascinating conversation about writing fight scenes with female characters with Ike Flintheart who is a martial artist and the author of the book Fight Like a Girl. Now, if you write thrillers like I do or fantasy, urban fantasy in particular, I think Ike actually writes urban fantasy herself and uh, historical fiction. I mean, even domestic noir, we talk a bit about that and the uh, domestic objects you can use in a fight scene. Uh, And I do mention Mr. and Mrs. Smith, one of my favourite fight scenes in movies. Uh, But just to be clear, uh, we are talking about violence and fighting by women, against women, between women. So uh, we are talking in an empowering way about writing, but I wanted to be clear up front uh, in case anybody uh, didn't want to listen. (laughs) Of course, you can always turn off my show. (laughs) That will be coming up in the interview section. So we're jumping straight into my personal update this week uh, because this week has not turned out how I expected or planned. And I wanted to talk about it because seriously, life is like this. And I'm sure you will agree. So I had thought, you know, oh yeah, finish audio for authors and narrated the book. It was all done. And we went to Spain for a few days and I thought, right, I'll get back, get on with Map of the Impossible. And Monday morning, 7am, I was at the cafe opening, opening up the Scrivener document. And then I was like, oh, looking at my writing going, well, I did about 15,000 words back in NaNoWriMo, November 2019. So I had some words it's the third in a series, so I, I know the characters, but basically I'd forgotten everything. <laughs> I'm looking at it going, what is this? And then I, so I thought, okay, well, that's fine. I'll go back over the first two books of the series, just kind of read them through, make some notes, figure out the open loops, you know, where I'd left space for the story to continue, uh, figure out, because I'm a discovery writer, I didn't have a overall trilogy arc. I didn't even know it would be a trilogy. It might not be a trilogy. It might it might be an ongoing series. <laughs> but the point is, I sat down and I had lost myself. And so I was like, okay, this is fine. So I wrote notes on the first two books. Then by Wednesday, I went back into starting to go back into Map of the Impossible. I went uh, into what I'd already written and I kind of read it over, lightly edited, you know, gentle touch, but just familiarising myself with what I'd done. I, there were some new characters <laughs> who I'd completely forgotten. and But it was so funny because it, this is an important topic. Many authors leave a book for a while. It might be to uh, to go and deal with some life issues. <laughs> That's probably the biggest one. Uh, that might be well, there just might be any kind of life issues that gets in the way. It might be another deadline. It might be earning some money. And for me, Audio for Authors was a kind of, I really need to finish that book because I get so many questions about it. And I'm really glad I have finished it. It's, in my opinion, it's a good book and it's a useful book. And I know it will sell. So that needed to be done. 
So now I'm coming back to fiction and I wanted to note note this difficulty because I know many of you might go through this. So my tips, I guess, are rereading any other books in the series to kind of familiar yourself with it, writing any notes on things that you can carry on, these open loops, rereading and circling back over the first words you might have written. And then the main shift, which I think is the hardest shift, is this headspace idea. And I know some people create a playlist per book so they can get into their mindset with certain songs. I don't do that because I listen to uh, rain and thunderstorms over and over again. (laughs) Have done for a decade, can't change it now. Uh, So basically, I don't have a way to bring back the world of the story with that sensory perception. And because I write all my books basically at the same desk in the same cafe, uh, the place doesn't remind me of one particular book. Uh, So what was interesting was how hard this was. And also because this week I've been doing things like the print uh, edition for audio for authors, proofing that, uh, doing all, you know, marketing stuff, doing the download page, uh, finishing things up. And I just decided by by the end of Wednesday when I managed 600 words, <laughs> just, like I am a professional writer at this stage doing 600 words and it was probably about three hours. I was so frustrated and I just thought, you know what, I think I'm not ready. Now, I'm not one to say that usually. And this is no, this is not writer's block. That's not what we're talking about. What this is, is I haven't changed my energy yet. So I'm in finishing energy stage for audio for authors. Uh, and that finishing energy is a very different energy to the first draft creative spark. Now, some people can uh, manage both at the same time, and maybe I can at different points in my life. But right now, uh, I am not managing this very well. So what I decided was, okay, do you know what? Chill out. A week or so is not going to make that big difference. So what I've decided is to double down on that finishing energy, get as much signed off as possible. And then next week, I'm going to get back to it. And I go, because at this point in the project, the book is very... uh, it's like that little shoot coming out the ground. It's fragile. I can't bash it over the head and force myself into it. Uh, I need to almost sink down into it. And another reason I use the name J.F. Penn for my fiction is because I, I am a different persona as J.F. Penn. And I think I'm still in a Joanna Penn phase and mode of energy. So I need to sink back into J.F. Penn. And I need both. I need both of those parts of me. Um, You know, we all have different sides of ourselves, different ways we present to the world and different ways we think. And for me, I think I just need a bit more time between my personas. So I hope that makes sense. I wanted to share with you because also I have been looking through the survey responses in more detail. And there was a question that uh, came up And it kind of broke my heart, but also I've been thinking about it too because of the struggles I've had this week, which is, is it okay to be mediocre? Should I give up due to not being an amazing writer? So no names, um, but thank you to that person. Uh, and somebody else wrote, and this, there were many questions on this theme, how can I make a difference in this world when there are so many other voices and books and podcasts and videos competing for everyone's attention? So both of these have made me 
Well, I feel this all the time and that's what I wanted to say to you. This, I think about this almost every day, especially when I'm struggling so much to write and I feel like, whoa, really? Does it even matter if I write this book? I am, you know, I'm not a... a I'm a writer and people read my books and say nice things about them sometimes. But I mean, who among us can say we are a great writer or an amazing writer? But I think what we have to consider is this is self-doubt, but there may be justification. So, for example, I very definitely want to keep improving my craft and becoming a better writer. But I still think that you one will probably feel this at the end of one's life, you know, on our deathbed. Really, was I just a mediocre writer? <laughs> but the other thing I thought is one person's mediocre is another person's favourite book. None of us ever quote the same book for what is our favourite or the same authors. And sometimes it it can be a way to touch somebody's heart. You know, a line in a book can speak to a life situation that someone else has and that's what touches them in that space in their life. So yes, it's self-doubt. Yes, we can improve our craft, which we all should. But also, I think the bigger question is, why is it any different in the rest of our lives? So you could be, you know, a mediocre accountant or a mediocre teacher, a mediocre parent, you know. I know some weeks I feel like a mediocre daughter. <laughs> you know, we, we all try our best and we all have to choose our path. But I think life is what we make it and our writing is what we make it. And most of the time we are writing for ourselves and then we are reaching out to help other people with what we've learned. But is it a problem if what we write doesn't feel like the very best book in the world ever? You know, if we feel like, well, this this isn't To Kill a Mockingbird, so there's no point. <laughs> Although, I mean, if you think about poor old Harper Lee, that book basically meant she could never really write another one. I mean, To Kill a Watchman was a, was a draft. And so having the book that was everyone said was the best book meant she never wrote another one. So, I mean, this is what's interesting because every time we write a book and you feel like, oh, that's, I need to write something else because that's not the best book I could write. It was the best book in the moment, but you need to go on and uh, improve and also write because it's your way of expressing yourself to the world and you're fulfilling your dream of writing. And so, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to talk about this because I understand that feeling of self-doubt. Also, if you're feeling some ennui, that kind of, I'm a bit down, um, Perhaps you're also my age, which is 45. Uh, and according to the happiness curve, if you've seen this, this is this U-shaped curve. They say 45 is pretty much rock bottom. I think 47 is rock bottom. So I'm not even there yet. <laughs> but what I have been doing this week, which uh, has been helping me with perspective, is listening to on audiobook uh, Dear Life by Rachel Clark. Now, just to be clear, this is a memoir about palliative care and dying, but it's more about the importance of living and taking each day as super important and go listen to the bird song and go write and be mediocre <laughs> and then get better tomorrow. Oh, right. Okay. That's my rant for today. Um, I also wanted to mention kind of a useful thing. I, in looking through the survey responses and I got what, something like 1,600, so a lot of questions to look through. What I can see is that I have answered many of the questions over the years, but 
Most likely people can't find them on the website. The search bar I have used for the last few years is not the best and I can see that. Um, I have always just gone straight to Google to find stuff on my own site. But what I have now done is add a custom Google search to thecreativepen.com. It's on the homepage, the start here page, um, and it's also on the footer and the sidebar so you can get to it from every page post and page. Uh, so basically you should be able to access it on any device. Uh, so just go to the, and it's like a Google custom search for the website. So you can go in there, type your question and hopefully I will have answered it. And I hope that will help uh, answer questions in the meantime. I'm still cleaning up old material. So if you use that custom search and something weird comes up, <laughs> that's because some stuff is obsolete and I'm still removing it. But some things change. I mean, clearly, if you see an article from 2014 about self-publishing uh, websites, that will be out of date. But most of the writing craft, the mindset stuff, the interviews, business ideas, these things don't change over time. So I hope that new search uh, facility helps. So thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. Angeline Trevena says, inspired by your encouragement, I took I told my mailing list about borrowing ebooks from libraries and got such a great response from them. Several asked for more info and thanked me for urging people to use and support their local libraries. Yes, 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 Angeline and everyone else who has tried this uh, library thing. Basically, the more indies get into libraries, the better it's going to be for all of us. So yes, go to your local library and borrow. Uh, borrow uh, ebooks from indies and audiobooks from indies and ask your readers to stock, uh, to ask the libraries in turn. And uh, slowly we will create a revolution, a bit like the large print thing that I started a couple of years ago. Now large print just seems to be much more mainstream amongst indies. So that's very cool. Uh, Miss Chikoro on YouTube uh, said, Excellent. Thank you for this podcast. Uh, I wanted far more detail on t- on repurposing information. So this podcast is very timely for me. I purchased Amy's book today. I also purchased and read Choose FI after listening to Brad on your program. So uh, I liked this comment uh, from Ms. Chikoro on YouTube uh, because one, it's on YouTube. And yes, I do put the podcast on YouTube and also proof of podcasting selling books. So uh, that was very cool. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, Carolina Ribeiro said, I love your podcast. I'm new here. I'm from Brazil. Welcome, Carolina. The episode posted on January 13th about focus with Nir Eyal was the best. And I think it probably might have changed my life. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, glad you found that useful. Oh, and then finally, Jacqueline Rowe says, I'm a self-published author, so I wasn't sure if the pitch, uh, how to pitch session with Kate Harrison episode would be for me. But we should never doubt the unique questions make the interviews valuable for anyone anywhere in their writing career. Thank you, Jacqueline. Uh, So you can tweet me at The Creative Pen. You can leave a comment on the show notes. You can always go to thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast and uh, go to the episode and leave a comment there. Or if you're on YouTube, you can also leave a comment. Today's show is sponsored by Readsy, the marketplace for curated professionals to help you edit, publish and market your books. You can check out the curated professional editors, book cover designers, marketing professionals, as well as ghostwriters, website builders and more, plus free manuscript formatting tool, the Readsy book editor and free courses on all the stages 
of writing, publishing and book marketing. What I like about Reedy is that they vet their uh, professionals. So that it is a curated list. And so you know that you have, um, you know, people who have checked people out. Uh, and I know this is difficult when you're just starting out in the indie publishing game because you have to build your team. So Reedy is a great uh, way to do that. You can check it out through my link at thecreativepen.com forward slash Reedsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y, thecreativepen.com forward slash Reedsy. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. Thanks to new patrons this week, Jacqueline Yupper and Brian Burney. I really appreciate your support on Patreon. It, like the tweets and emails, it demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. You can support the show with just a couple of dollars a month and you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which I will be doing probably sometime this week. <laughs> uh, and you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Ike Flintheart is an award-nominated Australian author of 12 novels and a martial artist. Her latest non-fiction book is Fight Like a Girl, writing fight scenes for female characters. Welcome to the show, Ike. Thank you. Oh, it's great to have you here. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing and also what part fighting plays in your life. Yes, I've I've always loved writing. I think I've always written stories, although they're probably not as good then as they are now. And fighting, I've I've loved doing for about twenty years now. I've I've been a martial artist for about twenty years, and I enjoy it because it's there's something that's quite enjoyable about throwing a six foot guy around the floor and having him hit the hard the mat. It's a lot of fun. So the main martial art I studied is Aikido, which is a Japanese martial art based on the old samurai sword fighting techniques, but with an empty hand. So there's a lot of wrist locks and arm locks and throws. So I studied quite a bit of sword work using the Japanese katana and a lot of stick work using the, the long sticks, the joes. And, uh, and then apart from that, I also took up archery a couple of years ago because one of my heroines was a an archer and I thought, well, if she knows how to do this, I need to know how to do it. And then I also took up knife throwing because, you know, same reason. If my heroine can throw knives, then I need to throw knives. <laughs> that is a great reason. I love that that research. So why are fight scenes great to have in books and, and maybe give us some examples? Yeah, fight scenes help definitely to move a plot along quite quickly. Uh, you don't want them to be gratuitous, but if you've reached a slow part in your story, a fight scene can help move things along a little bit faster. And fights are about conflict, and our stories are always central around conflict. So a good conflict is important to a story, which means a good fight scene helps to gel a story and helps the reader to engage with the conflict. And sometimes it's the external conflict, but often it's the internal conflict as well that's important. So a fight scene can be a reflection of both. 
the external conflict might be the protagonist actually physically fighting the antagonist to try and win a battle or succeed in his goal. But the internal conflict could be the protagonist trying to achieve the the plot goal for the story. The only way he can do it is to get through this fight scene psychologically and emotionally, and that's the internal conflict that gets revealed by the fight scene and reflected by the external conflict of the actual scene itself. Mm. Part of the character development of uh, books and films that include fighting is often, you know, somebody loses something at the beginning and then they want to transition across the journey of the book into someone who can win and and triumph. So that is almost a a sort of hero's journey arc, I guess. I wondered, is that something that you've written about in your books or something that you've seen in your own development around fighting? It is definitely because if your character is not changed by the external conflict, by a fight of some sort, then it's not true to real life. Because in real life, if real people are in physical conflict with each other, they are psychologically and emotionally changed by it. If they're not, then it's not real and your character will come across as flat and boring. Mm. So if your character is in a fight and injured, or even if they're not injured, and they come out of it psychologically and emotionally unchanged, then you're not writing true to reality. And it's important that your character grows and learns from whatever they do in that scene. Mm. It's interesting, while you were talking there, you actually said his and he, whereas your book is Fight Like a Girl for female characters. So this is a really interesting topic with the sort of gender awareness that's going on in the world right now. I've had Alan Baxter on to talk about fight scenes. He is a man and he's written from the male point of view. He has female fighters in his books as well. But let's let's, tackle the gendered title. Why is fighting different for women than for men it is significantly different and alan is an excellent fighter and an excellent writer but women do fight differently to men and anyone who says they don't is making stuff up because women are physiologically psychologically emotionally and biologically different from men and to pretend they aren't is ridiculous equal yes different definitely they move differently they think differently they react and feel differently so it's silly to pretend they don't Mm. the most obvious one differences are of course that men are generally physically stronger than women it doesn't mean they're better fighters it just means they are physically stronger So if a female is going to win a fight, she has to have some sort of other advantages that she can play on, be it experience or a mental attitude of some sort that is different from the man's. And it's important that as a writer, you know what her strengths are and how they compare to any other male characters and what their strengths are. 
And you mentioned emotional, for example. What what are some of the differences that uh, a woman might approach things? Well, one of the biggest challenges that women have in Western society is that we are socialized differently to men. We're socialized to be less forthcoming, less dominant, less strong-minded and opinionated, which means in any sort of fight scene, a woman will behave differently. She'll react differently. She'll she'll respond differently to stimuli. And it means that she'll feel differently about things afterwards because she's, men are, you know, don't cry, that sort of stuff. Whereas for women, it's, supposedly okay to be upset and cry and for men it's not quite so okay. Mm, I guess there are a lot of cultural differences and of course it's very hard to talk about this without sounding stereotypical in many ways but in the book you do go into a lot of nuance which I I find interesting. I do think this idea of socialization of fighting is interesting because you talk about like men and boys are brought up with rough and tumble and are quite used to rolling around fighting when they're smaller whereas girls and I remember this I'm not rolling around with my brother (laughs) on the ground. So what difference do you think that makes in terms of the shock that can impact women more than men you know if you're hit as a woman that can be a lot more shocking than than as a man definitely yeah men tend to grow up in western society with a a level of friendly violence they call it where you know a couple of guys when they meet up with each other they'll whack each other on the back and give each other a hug uh but they'll you know, give each other a smack on the shoulder as well. Whereas women, it's unthinkable to do that. We'll you know, air kiss and hug each other, but there's none of that friendly violence that is built into how women are brought up. So it makes it more difficult for them to adjust to a situation where the violence is no longer friendly. Mm. And you mentioned there about having uh, training can be one of the things that help the women in our book. So in my arcane uh, thrillers, Morgan Sierra is ex-Israeli uh, defence force, so she knows Krav Maga, so I have that background in my character. But yeah. you, but I love in the book, you also say you don't have to have a kick-ass super agent to write fight scenes. So what are the other types yeah. of characters that people might write about? Yeah, it definitely helps if your female character has a decent amount of training under her belt because that will affect how she responds and what actions she takes in any given fight circumstance, what she's capable of doing, quite honestly, and what she will think about doing as opposed to what she believes she ought to do. Most female fighters these days tend to be written as trained fighters, MMA, mixed martial artists, that sort of thing. And they are the easiest ones to write because they do have experience and training and it means there are there is a, a a well of technique and skill that an author can actually draw on to describe what's happening. 
Mm. How punches work, how strikes work, how throws work. So what are some of the bad stereotypes when women are fighting other women and some tips for writing those better? Oh, it really annoys me when you watch a movie and you get two women fighting each other because they're the only ones available to fight each other. And, you know, it seems to be always that they Hollywood does this women can only fight women thing. Whereas in reality, they will also fight men. If you're writing two women fighting each other, then it's important to establish what their level of training is and experience is before they get into the fight. But to be honest, that's the same for any fight scene. You need to know what level of training and experience your character has before she gets into the fight. Whether she's just fighting against a guy or a girl, it doesn't matter. Mm. I watch a lot of uh, movies, obviously read a lot of thrillers, and I like the fight scene in Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Do you know that that scene? That That is a lot of fun, that scene. That is great fun. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the interesting things there is the use of settings. If people don't know the scene, it's definitely worth watching. You know, they start at the dinner table where there are lots of weapons, you know, knives, poison is poison is a start and, and then knives and then they use a lot of the things around them. So what are the ways that we can use setting to help us write a good fight scene? Setting's fantastic. You can use setting and weather and time of day as a metaphor for increasing difficulty of the fight and and for how people feel about things during the fight. So storms are often used as a metaphor for people feeling awful and bad things happening in the fight scene. And the setting ought to get more difficult as the fight progresses. Uh, things You should get more obstacles in the place and more weird things that they can use as weapons. Um, the Bourne series, the Bourne movies, there's one of the early Bourne movies where he, I think, strangles somebody with the cord of a toaster and puts his head through a whole set of blinds and things. So, yes. Anytime you can use the setting to make the fight more difficult for your characters, it's an excellent plan. Mm. Use everyday things as weapons. So water bottles make a weapon. You know, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the the dinner plates, the, the things, the forks and knives, the couch, you know, anything. And a, your everyday house, Let's say your your normal, ordinary housewife, woman, mother, Lego, Lego on the floor. Everybody who's got small children knows how painful that stuff is. You know, squeaky toys make great distractions for when bad guys are coming. You know that the bad guy's coming because he stepped on your dog toy. <laughs> uh, you know, reflective surfaces like windows and mirrors help your character to see when bad guys are coming up behind them. Glasses and wine bottles are make great weapons. Mm. Uh, it, it, kitchen implements, uh, frying pans, tea kettles. <laughs> your, you know, your, any, your house um, sounds very violent. <laughs> 
Well, to be honest, I, I have a very large weapons collection in my house, several different kinds of swords as well as several different kinds of bows and, and daggers and knives. But yes, anything can be used as a weapon. You can use a book as a weapon. You can use a statue, a, a coffee cup, you know. Yes. Anything can be weaponized. To be fair, I have used one of my books. I've beaten someone to death with a Bible. It's always a good, always a good weapon. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And to be fun, it's as an author, it is a lot of fun to find weird and unusual weapons. In my ATAD series, one of my characters uses an Indian weapon called an Urumi, which is a flexible metal length that can be wrapped around the hips like a belt and used as a sort of a whippy sword. And then my shadow series, my heroine uses what's called a karambit, which is an Asian claw-shaped knife, but she uses it also as the underwire for her bra. So every time she slides out of her bra, she's basically in a position to slice somebody's throat with this fabulous claw weapon. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. So, And this brings into play the idea of talking about using domestic objects in a fight scene, which is when you're not prepared, versus yeah. a, a fighter-type character who might be carrying a sword in, say, a fantasy book or a historical yeah. book. So these are two very different types of situations for, for fighting. Yeah. I guess. Being yes, prepared. So definitely. What is the difference psychologically when you're prepared to when you're unprepared? Oh, there's a huge difference. And one of the biggest things that a, a trained fighter needs to do is be able to think ahead and psychologically prepare both what they're prepared, what they're able to use and what they're willing to do with that weapon. Because if you haven't thought ahead, then when you're faced with a terrible situation, you will freeze and make a poor decision and make the wrong choice. So is your character prepared to gouge eyes or not? Because that's a really gruesome and revolting thing to do. Um, is your character prepared to break arms or not? You know, they have to psychologically be ready to make those choices when the time comes. Otherwise, they won't make the choice and the bad guy will win because the good guy is not prepared to do what needs to be done. Yeah, and good guys, you know, don't always win in a <laughs> in a fight, that's for sure. But how has your how has your fighting practice changed your uh readiness, I guess, and and confidence? Yeah, it's definitely increased my confidence and my awareness. When I walk through shopping centers, I'm constantly scanning people up and down, assessing their threat level, which is probably zero in 90% of cases. <laughs> but you can't help it. As a, as a trained martial artist, you can't help it. You walk around and you see people walking funny or, you know, touching what is probably a concealed weapon tucked into their belt and you notice it. And, you know, you, you walk, you go to different places, you, you know, you behave differently when you're aware of how other people are a possible threat. 
Mm. And I think that's something that is often missed in in books. I mean, in films, you can't really, you're not inside the character's head, so you can't do it. But in books, you can you can write that awareness. And anyone who's trained in fighting as you are would almost see violence coming, wouldn't you? Yes. Oh, definitely. You see how people move. You see where they move. You see what they're paying attention to. And the ones who are a threat, you move to avoid and get away from. That awareness is great. I must say, I have tried a few martial arts myself. I did, like you, when I said, well, my character does Krav Maga. I went to a Krav Maga class and I basically ended up crying on the floor because it was really, really hurt. And I said to my husband, I'm never going back to that. I do weight training and things, but I don't like being, I don't like being hit and kicked and Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) But it's interesting because when I was um, a kid, my mum took us to martial arts. And one of the things we were taught was to walk like a panther or walk like a tiger so that the predators pick on someone else uh, and that was like uh, avoidance so what are your thoughts on that you say in the book avoid the falling rock so maybe talk a bit about that well there's that's actually an old aikido saying um an old budo saying swordwork saying Avoid the falling rock. It means don't be there. You know, don't put yourself into stupid situations where you're likely to get hurt. Just avoid it altogether if you possibly can. And there was actually a really interesting study done in the UK a few years ago where they took a bunch of mugging victims and they walked them around a room with uh, motion capture sensors on them. So they turned the bodies into basically stick figures and assessed how they walked. And then they got a bunch of uh, bouncers and muggers to watch those videos and decide who they would mug if they had to. And every single time in that study, the muggers and bouncers picked the people who had already been mugged at some point in their life. So basically what it was saying is that they already walked like a victim. Mm. And it was and it was visible to people who knew what to look for. To be honest, I think that's the biggest taking things to the practical life situation when most people are not going to be fighting with swords or anything. That's probably the best uh, way to start, isn't it? So if people if people are interested in even just that first step in sort of self-defense, what what would you recommend? Because I know that you sort of advocate for women um, doing this type of thing. Look, I would definitely find a martial art that you enjoy. So it's it's usually a matter of finding a good dojo or a good centre where the people there have the right mental attitude towards each other and are good to each other even if they're learning to beat, beat the crap of each other. They're nice to each other while they're doing it because you quite tend to like the people you're training with. And I would definitely, I would try, like Graf Maga is a good martial art because it's, it's, uh, it draws from a whole bunch of different sources. So you learn several types of techniques like punches and kicks and locks and throws. And jiu-jitsu is quite similar in that regard. But there are other arts that are not, are a bit more narrowly focused and may not be the best place to start. 
And I think uh, what I attracts me to Krav Maga, I still like I fantasize about going back at some point <laughs> and being being a bit hard. Um, I kind of think I should at some point. But there's a difference between Krav Maga sort of which is much more street fighting-y versus the very, like you mentioned, with sword work and Aikido has some quite ritualistic aspects. Yes. So yes. there are these different types, aren't there? Of uh, The ritualistic aspect might not help you in a street fight, for example. Very much. You're right. Mm. So you have to choose what you want to do it for. But I think all these things play into the potential books that people might write. One of the big things in the UK, which is kind of annoying, is this domestic crime novels where a lot of women seem to get murdered in their homes. <laughs> to me, it, it, I like the empowerment of having, like we mentioned, those things that you can have in the home to defend yourself with. And I would like to see more stuff written where women are not necessarily just doing rit- ritualistic sword fights, but actually fighting in a much more domestic setting, I guess. Yes. There's a good Australian TV series called Hard Sun, which has has some really great fight scenes set in a woman's house where she's uh, using some cool implements like frying pans and things. That sounds cool. So Hard Sun. I also wanted to ask about injuries. I'm on book 11 now of my Arcane series. And of course, every book, Morgan Sierra gets into some kind of fight and she has been injured quite a lot. And I have to remember those injuries and have different time frames <laughs> for recovery. And this can all be quite difficult. So what is the sort of issues to think about around recovery? Well, one of the the biggest things that a lot of authors do, myself included, is write urban fantasy that includes some sort of healing powers so that even if they do get injured, they can recover quickly because they've got magic. Magic's always helpful in a fight scene. (laughs) But if we don't have magic, how, how long are we talking? It will depend on the type of injury and where she's gone for treatment, but it is important to understand how blood loss affects thinking and abilities. And it is important to understand that, you know, bruising and breaks do have a long term effect on the body and what people are capable of doing. I will put a trigger warning at the front of this interview because this talking about this type of thing can be uh, difficult for some people. What are your thoughts on... I mean, some people would say we just have to avoid everything. You know, we should just keep everybody safe and happy and, you know, that would be fine. What are your thoughts on actually facing these things that might challenge us? Oh, look, psychologically, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But it is difficult. And both you as the author and your character need to be able to grow and learn from whatever they've done, whatever mistakes they've made and whatever injuries they've sustained. Mm. So if someone has been in a situation, I think you write about this in your book, is it cathartic to write about things where the, where you can almost change the situation in, in, your, in, in the outcome of the book, whereas in real life it might have been a lot worse? 
Oh, it definitely helps, especially if you need to talk to a psychologist (laughs) to write about things that you maybe couldn't change in real life, but in your book, yep, absolutely, go for it, change it, fix it, make the world a better place. Yeah, and kill the bad guy. That's what I do. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that's why I enjoy writing thrillers and to some extent horror. The good guys can triumph over the bad guys and they meet a sticky end. I I do enjoy writing those things. It is nice, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, so excellent. So where can people find you and your books online? I've got a website, just ikeyflintart.com and all of my books are there, but also they're on Amazon and iBooks and all of the standard Barnes and Noble type book retailers, both in ebook and in print. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Ike. That was great. Yeah, it's fun. I hope you found the discussion with Ike interesting today and got some ideas for your own fight scenes. In the next show, I'll be talking to New York literary agent Barbara Powell about her tips for finding the right agent, query letters, what to do, what not to do, and whether agents are interested in indie authors, as well as what she in particular is looking for. And in case you're wondering why I would talk about this on a mainly indie show, well, the successful, most successful indie authors are hybrid. Those with some traditional deals uh, and some books indie because it's not an either or decision anymore. You can choose per book project and you can also choose per license. For example, keep your English language rights and license foreign rights or license your audio rights and keep ebook and print. So we have more opportunities than ever. So I know you're going to find the interview interesting. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>